Welcome back to episode 72 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we seek to not only highlight the glories of ratings gain, which is awesome, but rare. So we also highlight the plateaus, which are very common, and even the pits of despair below, which are really painful at times, but are a reality. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. And I want to thank Jay Tuttle, Jay Garrison, Donna Rich Burgess, Brandon Halside, David Schreiber, and Lindsay Newhall. Also, thank you so much to uh, Chessable for sponsoring the show. I've been doing quite a bit of Chessable lately. I need to pull up the name of the course. I'm forgetting now. But uh, I'm doing the Polgar course on defense right now. And um, it's been incredibly easy because I think it's at a level that's below mine. But it's, again, one of these ideas of trying to plug some of the floors, plug some of those holes, but I'm really enjoying it a lot. I'm still working on the Checkmate Patterns Manual. I'm uh, thinking about maybe picking up the Semi-Slob. I don't know. That sounds like madness to me, but I'll probably have to get a course on that if I do. Uh, also, I've been streaming quite a bit on Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes if you are interested in that. Mostly we're going over Karpov games. I think I'm going to go over some of my early tournament games just for fun. I think that'll be interesting. How bad was I in 1996 when I just randomly showed up at a tournament with very little chess experience? I don't know. Tune in to find out. Uh, and if you want to appear on the show, you felt the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. And today I bring on Joel. Um, Joel is a chess enthusiast. He's a chess teacher. He's a family man. And much like me, he teaches kids in schools. So Joel, how are you doing? And have you had a chance to play any chess yet today? Oh, hi, Kevin. Yeah, I did not play any chess today, but I did play some five-minute blitz. So you do not consider five-minute blitz to be chess? Uh, not real chess, yeah. I, okay. I We can get back. We can get into that later in the show, but yeah, I've got some strong feelings about that. Okay. So do you think of things like blitz and bullet as almost like chess variants? Like they can maybe help you in some ways, but they're not real chess? Well, they. Um, I guess you can say, yeah, uh, they are chess, but if you're looking for chess improvement, they'll mm. do very little for you. Um, and if you exclusively play Blitz or Bullet or even Rapid, you've never really experienced chess. So that's what I mean when I say they're not really chess. And if somebody says I'm a chess player and they've never really played a classical game, they've never really experienced chess. Okay. I think that's interesting. I actually have a couple students at school, you know, they know I'm into chess. So they talk to me about chess and they're like, yeah. I play quite a bit of chess. I'm like, that's cool. And like, yeah, I, I try to play like eight bullet games a day. And I'm like, wait, all you do is play bullet. And like, yep. <laughs> and I have that same thought of like, I'm not sure we're playing the same game. Like, I know you're using the chess pieces, but I don't know. That feels like a very different way um, to have your entire chess experience. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say that if you do play classic and mm -hmm. you play, you play blitz just for either opening prep or on the side to train your intuition um, or for what other, other improvement, then sure, mm. it could help your improvement. But if you're exclusively playing Blitzer or Rapid, uh, then and you're not playing any classical and you're not really spending the time sitting on a board, um, it could be digital. I mean, I'm not gonna insist that everybody plays over the board and not online, because that's a little difficult these days. Um, but if you're not playing, you know, at least 90, 30 or lower, lower levels, you can play 45 minute games. I guess that'll do. Um, but you're never really learning those 
core skills that you need as a chess player. Gotcha. I think I agree, especially with blitz. The way I use blitz is very much what you're saying. It's like my rating isn't really that relevant to me. It's more like practicing intuition, practicing openings, and then going over the games afterwards with that purpose, right? Of like, where, how did the opening work out? And also did my intuition work out? Like I, I thought this was the right idea and the computer's like, no, 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 no. That was, that was not the right idea. Well, we'll come back to this in a bit. So uh, let's start here. What is your current life situation like? What is either taking away from your chest time or allowing you to do more chest time? What's happening? Oh yeah, I'm, as you said in the intro, I am a family guy. I've got lots of kids. Um, actually, this reminds me, you had somebody on your show, uh, one of the early shows whose name was also Joel, and he had lots of kids, um, but I've got even more kids than him, so that's, a, that's just a hint. Okay, how many kids are we talking? Well, let's say that if each kid is about 200 ELO points, I'd be a grandmaster right now. So I've got seven kids. Wow, okay, that's a lot of kids. What, what is the age span? Uh, the oldest is 13, and the youngest is two and a half. Okay, so you're really in the thick of the early years, and there are seven of them. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that does sound like uh, you have a very busy life. So I have to imagine that is at least a distraction to your chess. Definitely, yeah. When I play um, on my online, my weekly, uh, once or twice weekly classic game, when I play on the dojo, I should just mention this now, we can talk about this more later. I play on the dojo, dojo open and the dojo Liga, um, mm. which if anybody doesn't know what that is, definitely go check it out. Uh, go check out the dojo discord. You can learn everything you want about it there. So I try to get those two classical games in a week. I don't think a week goes by where uh, at least one or both of those games get in interrupted uh, two or three times. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I did the Dojo Liga for one round or one run or whatever it is. Loved it. But man, I my schedule is just not conducive to leagues like that. It made it so challenging to try to schedule games. I ended up having to take many draws. It was, I think, frustrating for me and my opponent, but I do support that league, and I think it's really cool. I think I played you in, in, in the dojo. Yeah, I believe so, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you were victorious. <laughs> no, we, it was a draw. You got a winning position, Oh, and I, 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 I swindled you into a draw. Okay, in that's the end even game. worse. <laughs> yeah, so now every time I listen to your show and you're talking about your end game, yeah. I'm like, I want to, I want to, I wanna like, uh, Kevin, I got to tell you, I got to, I got to teach you a few lessons about the end game <laughs> because after yeah. that game, uh, you made a few key mistakes, but yeah. I remember that. And I feel like since then I have improved my end game and that was one of the games that was a motivator. But then I will admit that like regularly, I'll be like, I think my end games are fairly strong for my level. And then I look and I made like 18 errors in an end game and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just bad at end games. And I keep trying to like trick myself into thinking I've gotten better at them. So I don't know, Joel. Maybe we'll have to do some endgame lessons uh, soon. I mean, endgames, it's very tricky. I think for me, this is again, because I teach chess, I am thinking a lot more about the chess psychology. When it comes to chess endgames, I think it's just something that has to click. I think it's an attitude thing, or I think it's sort of understanding what kind of thinking you need to do in an endgame end rather than learning the mm -hmm. techniques. Because uh, if you try to learn the techniques, you'll be very baffled. And I remember when I was a more of a developing chess player, 
I used to, you know, read lots of endgame books and, you know, there's all these techniques that you have to learn. And there's books like, uh, you know, the hundred endgames you must know. And I think that misses the point because I think the idea of, I think where it really clicked for me is I think when I started doing the first book of the Yusupov th series, hmm. there are some chapters there on endgames and there are these exercises at the end. And when I started doing those, I started realizing that like, it's, it's really just a different way of thinking. It's not quite calculation. Um, so I think maybe the point I'm trying to get at here is that, yeah, being good at end games is not about calculation. It's about sort of, uh, understanding how to make plans. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I, I think reading Sharashevsky's end game strategy really unlocked something in me to where I at least feel better about end games. Like before I read that, I, I hear exactly what you were saying. It would be like, is this a Philidor? No, it is not. Okay, now what? Like there's piles of pawns everywhere. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to push? Uh, and after reading that book, it really is about like finding micro plans and stacking them and 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 knowing sort of generally how to play end games rather than like memorizing all those individual positions and hoping you hit them. Yeah, those types of things that Cherchevsky talks about, like taking your time, like do, doing things slowly, right. don't try to rush things. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you learn about opposition and corresponding squares. And, you know, I'm trying to think like, okay, I move my king here, he moves his king there. And then like, I'm starting to calculate all the different ways we can shuffle our kings around to figure out if one or the, one or both of us can try to force an opposition somewhere. And my mind will just go crazy. And I'm like, no, that's not really what end games are like. It's practical end game skills. It's sort of like, okay, I've got a pawn majority on the queen side. My king is over on the king side. So step one is trying to get my king over to the queen side. Um, or maybe step one is try to neutralize whatever advantage he has on the king side. Step two is try to trade away the rooks or, or not trade away the rooks or step three, you know, sort of saying like, okay, these are the plans. And this is exactly what Cherishevsky talks about. Mm -hmm. That was by far my favorite. Well, I, chapter. Yeah, actually for those people, and I was going to say this, uh, if those people who don't want to read Cherishevsky or don't have time to read the entire book, uh, the book think like a grandmaster has a chapter on end games now people like to trash that book but if just for that chapter alone is sort of uh, a a very quick summary of everything in the sharashevsky book and when you read that chapter it's six pages long and he talks about uh capablanca and one of the things he says about capablanca is he didn't what exactly what i'm telling you now it's not, not about calculation it's about um it's not about variations but it's about um schemes oh, i got him i don't remember the terminology he uses but mm. i got the feeling that it's a bit of a maybe it's a soviet approach to end games hmm. um just seeing how how much um emphasis you know the russian chess schools put on end games uh, and the more i read you know from the russian chess school on end games the more i see that um i think that they they really got that got it when it comes to that point that yeah. i want to make about I've really come around to that as well. It's like when I first started chess, I was like, that sounds like a, such a foolish way to learn chess since every game has an opening. Most games have middle games. And out of my low level, none of them had end games. Like the quote end games were like, I'm up two pieces. Um, but the more I've come around to it, the more I feel like by building up backwards, you know, kind of what you're playing towards, right? Like if you start with opposition and then, you know, really early in a position like, ooh, this is going to lead to a bad opposition for me. I don't want to go into that. I don't know. It just feels like a deeper understanding of chess at an earlier period. 
Yeah, one of the one of the first books I read when I was younger on chess was uh, Ziegbert Tarash's uh, The Game of Chess. Mm. There's a translation of it from Lou Hayes Publishing, that green book. You might know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and so he organizes the book as end games, middle games, and then openings. And he's very funny about it. Like he's very <laughs> dogmatic, obviously, Ziegbert Tarash. And at the end of the end game book, he's like, now that you understand. Now that you fully understand how to play the end game, now I give you permission to move on to studying the, the middle game. <laughs> you know, and then finally at the end of the book, he's like, now that you've understood, now you're ready to play your first game of chess. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness. Quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> now you're ready you should be chess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After reading this whole book. That's that's fascinating. Okay. Um, so you it sounds like you have a pretty busy life. You're you have a bunch of kids. You are a teacher, but it sounds like you're able to carve out not just study time, but pretty big chunks um, in order to be able to play like these league games. So what is the secret to convincing your family that they should agree and essentially allow you to play league games that take a lot of time? All right. So step one is getting a lock on your door. Okay. <laughs> and uh, step two is playing uh, is having a really crazy sleep schedule, I suppose. I play games like 10 p.m., late Saturday nights. On Sundays, I can play. So Sunday, usually, I get I get some time. So I try to schedule my games for them. But yeah, I, I don't advocate it for everybody to play two classical games a week. But I think most people should be able to fit in one classical, especially in that Dojo Liga, where you get to play with your opponent and sort of go back and forth a few times about finding a time that's mutually acceptable to both of you. You should be able to find something on a you know, late on a, you know, late on a Saturday night or on a in Sunday afternoon or something like that, or Sunday morning, I should say. Sunday morning, like, yeah, last week I played a guy seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're so. basically, you're being quite flexible and willing to adapt your sleep schedule. I think for me, yeah. what, I, what I realized from the Dojo Liga was that I have time to, to play and study chess during the week, but what I don't have is like uninterrupted two hour blocks or an hour and a half blocks. Like those are just very challenging for me to come by. And when I do, it's like, I can do it at this time. And the person's like, well, that's cool and all, but that's only an hour and a half in a whole week. <laughs> do you have another hour and a half? And I'm like, no, I do not. <laughs> yeah. And it messes with your psychology as you're playing as well. Cause like you give yourself a two hour block, mm -hmm. a 90, a 90, 30 game will not necessarily end in two hours. But if you tell oh, yourself, yeah. well, I got to be out of here at 10 30. And yep. it's 10, 15, and there's 30 minutes left on the clock on your time and, you know, and 40 minutes on his clock. You're just going to start playing moves because you feel the pressure. The only yeah. way, yeah, and that's what I said earlier on the show, that, like, unless you've played an over-the-board tournament, classical tournament, where, and you talk about this a lot on your show, you know, going away to Las Vegas, or we had the Canadian Open a couple months ago, I can, uh, in, in the summer, or I went to Hamilton, Ontario. It was a great experience. We can talk about that later. Um, mm -hmm. But that experience is totally different. You're, you're in a room nobody's bothering you and you're serious and the way you think is just totally different totally different you're discover you'll discover things about your 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 mind that you didn't know about yourself yeah and oftentimes some dark things like i've really struggled to keep like negative thoughts at bay of like what am i doing here why am i even playing chess so much um lately i have been able to keep those away which is nice because if you're going to have those thoughts, that's fine, but not at the chessboard. Like that's something you need to be examining away from the chessboard, not in the middle of a chess match. So that's, that's been kind of fascinating for myself. Um, let's jump into your backstory real quick. So Joel, when did you learn chess? Were you a child? 
Did you learn during the pandemic? Did you learn just last week? Um, what's happening? So I'm in my high 30s. I learned when I was a kid. I don't know if I was eight, nine, 10 or something like that. Um, but I could put at least, I know I was less than 11 or so or 12 because I I moved when I was about 12 and it was, I have very vivid memories in my old house um, of my mother teaching me chess um, and I played her a couple of games and then she showed me what a night fork is. And at that point I was hooked as, you know, oh, a night fork, that's so cool that you can actually, you know, there's tricks you can do and things like that. Um, so yeah, it was probably about eight or nine. Um, and then, yeah, my childhood was, was, was very much infused with chess. Like I used to play my, uh, a grandfather on Saturday afternoons and, you know, he beat me at first. And then sooner or later, I started getting better and better until I started beating him and my, my German-speaking grandmother was the, was so proud because uh, in um, in her in her mind, you know, being able to win at chess sh showed something about your character. It was a sort of a virtue almost. Huh. So I, I I remember that as a kid, uh, and then I started picking up books as well, chess books. Um, like uh, I remember the elementary school I was in um, had a little bit of a library, but it was all these old paperback books, and you know, from the who knows when. Uh, and, you know, I came across the books of, you know, um, Bobby Fischer teaches chess, of course. I remember coming across that, across that when I was quite young. And, the, you know, the Fred Reinfeld books and the, uh, and the I.A. Horowitz and all those old authors, those old American authors. For some reason, Chernev wasn't in there. Um, but I remember the names Horowitz and yeah. um, Horowitz and, and, and Reinfeld. Um, and then I started taking books, you know, chess books from the library, all the Bruce Pandolfini books. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember having them all stacked on my shelf and my mother saying to me something, you know, I was like, why you, like, why do you have a whole stack of, of chess books? And I must've been, I was probably 12 or something at that point. Um, yeah, but I, I, it sort of went from there. Um, then I found the book, um, Josh Wait Waitzkin's book. Hmm. Uh, he's got a book called Attacking Chess. Great, great book. He's got stories in there. He talks about as a kid going to Washington Square P Park to play. And of course, there's the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher is based on his on his life story. Uh, and I remember when I turned 13, I made a trip to uh, New York City and mm -hmm. I insisted that my aunt take me to Washington Square Park. But I came there at a really weird time. I came there like on a Sunday morning at eight o'clock or nine o'clock and nobody was in the park. The place smelled like weed. <laughs> and I found some hustler on, on, a, on, a, on a bench somewhere who was willing to play me. Um, but I went back there recently, actually. I made a trip. To, I mean, I go back and forth uh, to New York all the time. My wife's family is from New York. And I went back to Washington Square Park. And, and I, I had some fun, some, some fun playing there. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so all, yeah. All right. So it sounds like you played a bunch as a kid. Did you play any organized chess? Or was it just kind of like, playing with friends, playing with grandpa. Also, was grandpa also happy when you beat him? Or was he like, we never play chess again, and now we play this other game? Oh, no, he was happy, I, I, I think. Um, I right. think he was, he was happy about that. Um, but yeah, you asked about the organized chess, and I think that was, I think that's a big issue. For, I think mm. one of the reasons why I never really got good or got to the level where I can, where I can say that I'm, you know, at the, at the level where I, I can compete is because as a kid, I never really played um, that organized, that organized chess. Uh, part of the problem is uh, I never went to tournaments. Part of the problem is tournaments are always on the weekends and I, I'm, I'm religious, I'm Jewish. So 
playing chess on the Sabbath, playing with a clock is just, or traveling to tournaments is not possible. Even now that's an issue for me. So the only reason I was able to do the Canadian Open in the summer is because it was nine rounds. It started on a, on a what was it, a Monday or a Tuesday and it ran all the way till the next Sunday. It was two games a day, but I, even I had to take three buys. Um, the only other time I played organized chess, like another tournament before that was when I was in university. I was about what, 20 or so, 2006, uh, how old was I? Um, now I was 20 something, 23 or no, 22. Uh, and I played the Canadian Open that year. It was in uh, Kitchener, Ontario. Uh, funny story, I played uh, Alexandra Botez in that tournament. Mm. And she was 11 years old, I believe. Oh my time. God. Un <laughs> unrated or maybe provisional rating at the time. Um, close game she beat me in the end i have the the uh, i discovered the pgn and as i was reading a chess book recently uh, i didn't know i still had it uh and i discovered the pgn in my copy of Limsevich's my system or something like that and i pulled it out put it into my into my into a lead chess study and there were some moments there it was a good game but anyways yeah i played alexandra botez those were the only two tournaments i've ever played in my life it was once when i was 20 something and once just recently when i went to hamilton for the canadian open Wow, that's pretty fascinating, especially for somebody who really considers long games to be such a critical part of the process. Um, I hadn't thought about that before, about how limiting for various people and their religions weekend tournaments can be. And it just doesn't feel like there's all that many during the week events, probably because so many people can't make them or it's challenging due to jobs. Yeah, I was looking at the CFC. I'm Canadian, so I was looking at the Canadian Chess Federation's, you know, uh, schedule of of tournaments, and every single one of them is on a weekend, and they're all five rounds. First game Friday night, the two games on Saturday, and then two games on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I've got to miss the Friday night game. I got to miss the Saturday morning game and the Saturday evening game. So I have to play the two Sunday games. So I'm not playing two games of a five round tournament yeah. and paying four hundred bucks for it. That's just not going to work. Uh, yeah. Hey, have you found any of the one-day tournaments? There's a bunch of those in our area. I, I mean, some are Saturday, some are Sunday, but they're just like one day. They're not quite as rewarding because they're a little bit shorter. Like it'll often be like game 45s or something like three rounds in a day. Yeah, most of those are Saturdays. So that that already okay. doesn't work. Uh, there was a, or maybe it's still coming up or it hasn't happened yet, but here in Toronto, one of the clubs is hosting a a speed chess championship the annex chess club is doing something in november but mm. it's a team a team event and i gotta mm. find a team and even then it's not going to be fast games anyways it's going to be um i don't know if it's 15 minute games or something like that mm -hmm. um, yeah and i do i do go every week there's there's a couple of clubs that meet in the area one of them mm. is willowdale chess club um we've got a lot of strong players there i am um gms oh, wow. i believe too oh my god i think from the canadian yeah, yeah, very strong club. Um, I don't know if you know some of the names, but the um, Rusonic and um, um, Michael Barron and and um, you know, who else? It's a bunch of guys, all, all Russians, not all Russians, but yeah, you know, mostly Russians. Uh, they're quite strong, um, but there are people there who are who are my level, but they all want to play fast. They're all playing three, yeah. three, two games. Right. Um, and then I go also to pub chess. Um, which is in the Madison pub. It's also a group we meet up every Wednesday night and we host the Swiss every week. But again, it's three, two, three, two games. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's where 
I should be quite thankful. There's actually three different possibilities that are somewhat near me for once a week tournaments, like full, like one on Tuesday is an actual classical tournament. Um, it's hard for me to attend. Wednesday is like a game 55. And then I think it's Friday is also a classical and it just runs like four or five, six weeks and it's one a week. Too bad you don't have anything like that around. That sounds like that might fit the sweet spot of what you're looking for. Well, Annex actually does run a, a once a week. I think it's Monday nights they play. They they, they run a multi week tournament. Um, but that's I consider that that's sort of like the the dojo idea that I was talking about. That yeah. one game a week. But those actual tournaments where you're there five games, nine rounds. Yeah. Uh, that you're playing two games a day. Like the first time I really, I mean, I did it back in 2006. I think that was one game a day. Actually, those weren't two games a day. Um, but the the one in Hamilton, that was, uh, yeah, I, I call it a life changing experience because I really discovered what chess is really about there. Like I, I played, I played players who are CFC rated 21 something, and wow. I got the better of them out of the opening. And then, you know, unfortunately, um, I didn't really execute correctly. But like I played 2,000 rated players, 2,100 players, and I, 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 I held. I, I I was, I saw I was on their level. So which means I know that when it comes, you know, purely scale, I'd be able to reach that level. I guess it's just a matter of experience and just being able to do it enough times. Um, yeah. You know, when you're only playing nine classical games in ten years, then a lot of it, <laughs> or not even nine. It's uh, it was seven games because I took yeah. two buys or three buys that I take. Um, a lot of it is luck, you know, because those games could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, just so we get an idea of where you're at, what are your ratings like? What's your CFC rating? So I came away with that CFC rating in Hamilton with a 1530 CFC, which mm -hmm. is quite embarrassing. But the reason why that happened, I, I came away with the, the tournament 20 years or wasn't 20 years ago, or whatever it is, 15, 16 years ago, I came away with like a 1499 rating. Mm -hmm. And I did, you know, semi-decently, but I, I entered that as an unrated section. Uh, this yeah. tournament that I went to just now, I came in with a 1499. I easily won the first game against the kid who was like a thousand or something like that. And then mm -hmm. I got paired up against like a stronger guy who was like 1800 and something. Mm -hmm. And I, he beat me and then I got paired back down. So I got yeah. paired back down to somebody who was, I don't know, 1400, let's say I beat right. him. And then I got paired up to the 2000. I was yo-yoing back and forth. So I, I won all my games who were lower than me. So I know my, I know my, you know, I know I lost against, you know, 1800 and below, and I know I can beat a 1400 and above. Right. Um, but where, where in between those, I don't really know where they are, except where I am, except for what CFC tells me that my rating is now 1530. Uh, but I know that when I play on Leech Chess and Chess.com, Chess.com, I play those classical games. Uh, Chess.com considers them rapid. They don't consider them classical, but my rating is yeah. about eight, 1800. So okay. 1800 rapid Chess.com. Those are the dojo games. And the Leech Chess, I'm all over the place. But I'm about 1900 on the three two time control. Okay, interesting. All right, so yeah, it, it makes sense that your CFC rating just isn't that accurate because you haven't given it many data points, right? It's it's the struggle I had with my USCF rating for quite some time. It was like it just kept saying you're 1600, and I'm like, but I'm putting all this work in. My ratings are going up everywhere else, and it's like, well, give me more data points, and I can give you better information. Yeah, it's I, I'm sure it's not too bad because I know that, you know, chess.com is could be several hundred points higher than a, a, an official ELO. So mm. if on chess.com's rapid, I'm 1800, then maybe 1500 does make sense for over the board. Mm. You want to hear something interesting? My USCF currently is 1700. 
my chess.com rapid has dropped to about 1620. <laughs> so I'm actually a fair amount higher on USCF. I think it's a problem I've just been having with the rapid time control. I'm either playing it like a blitz game and then realizing I'm playing too fast or I'm playing it like it's a game 55 and then going, oh my goodness. Um, like I'm not just settling into like a flow of actually playing the rapid time control. So, so uh, we'll see if I can get back to that. And I know that we're pretty much on the same level. When I played you in the, in the dojo game, we were really neck and neck. So, I mean, it was a draw at the end. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much the same level. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's talk about your journey then. It sounds like your journey has been very much a book journey. Even when you weren't playing serious chess, you were reading about it. So what is motivating you to read so much and to learn so much in these younger years about this thing that you aren't able to go to tournaments? Because I feel like for a lot of people, that's kind of the motivator, right? It's like, I'm going to these tournaments. I'm getting my butt kicked by people. I want to get better at this thing. So I'm going to study it. And it kind of feels the reverse for you. Like you're just studying and not really getting that opportunity to use your studying. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I think it's books actually that drew me back into chess because I did take quite a hiatus. Uh, You know, when I was in university, I had time for that, you know, Canadian Open tournament. But when I got married, I did play a lot on ICC. Um, So I was I was playing on ICC. I joined the 4545 League, I think, back then. So I was getting a little bit of slower games. Um, but then I didn't really play, especially after I had kids and stuff. And it was really recently, uh, interestingly enough, it was not the Queen's Gambit or the lockdowns that actually got me into it. I got into it a little bit before that. Um, I think what happened was I discovered chess.com. Um, you know, back in the day, I mentioned I played on ICC and, you know, just to try to get a, a membership there. I remember I had to scratch together some money to play, to pay that yearly membership. And then when recently I discovered chess.com is free, I was like, oh, yeah, it's free. I should play. I played a bunch of 10 games um, and it was fun. And I still had all my books. So when I was younger, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I love chess books and stuff like that. So I had about 40 books that I, but they were all the classics. I mentioned the Tarash book. I mentioned the, the Nimzovich, my system, uh, some of the old classic Reinfeld books. I had MCO 13, I think it was. I still have it actually. So it's the white one. I think it's MCO 13. That's um, mm. Nick, uh, Nick Defer, Defermian. Uh, I had, I remember reading Capablanca. So I had about 40 books. I had a lot of Andy Solt, a couple of Andy Soltis books. Um, but then when I discovered recently that like the quality of the chess books really, really took off. So, and I think that's what really drew me back into chess. I, I started a Facebook group a few years ago. This was pre-lockdowns um, dedicated to nonfiction books. It's the largest nonfiction book group on Facebook. It's got about 40,000 members. And that was around 2019 or 2020. Um, And I was reading on my commute to work. Uh, I had about a half hour subway ride back and forth. So I was reading about 30 pages a day. I was reading about um, a book a week or something like that. So each year I was reading like 50 nonfiction books. Uh, And, you know, I put reviews on the Facebook page. It was lots and lots of fun. Uh, But then when these, you know, these government imposed shutdowns happened, I was no longer commuting to work. Mm. Um, So I I sort of brushed off my chess books um, and I started getting back into chess books and I started buying chess books again. Now I've got about two or 250 chess books. So all the classics, (laughs) people who know me from the chess dojo books mm. channel we'll know that anytime anybody asks any question about books i'm the go-to guy joel's the uh joel's the the, the chess book guy 
Um, and I'm reading them. I mean, I got, you know, just around me, I got uh, the Techniks book sitting here, and I've got a book by Edward Lasker sitting here, and I've got some uh -huh. other books here. I got Albert, um, Lev Albert's book over here, and I got Irving Chernev book sitting around. I got books everywhere. So, okay. um, and you're actually yeah, reading so these books, you're not just looking at them and putting them on a shelf. Yeah, I'm reading some of them, putting, picking them, some of them up, picking, you know. I mean, you talk on your show a lot about, you know, improvement through books. And I'm sure if I have like a, a regimented uh, program of studying books, I can probably improve a lot faster. But that's actually not the reason why I read the books. I read the books because mm -hmm. I enjoy it. You know, like, okay. if it's, uh, you know, I can sit on the couch, look at my shelf and, you know, I've got 200 books to choose from and pull one out and, you know, play through a game and put it back on the shelf and have fun. But I am trying to get through books. So yeah, like the Vitechnik book, I'm about halfway through. I just worked through um, um, How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. Um, I think the reason I picked that up is because I got to the chapter in the Vitechnik books, which is about mating patterns. So I said, oh, you know, why should I bother with Vitechnik? I can just go through that book. So I, it's a very short book. You can, you can finish it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like puzzle books. Um, I was streaming... Um, first book of Morphe um, ah. by Del, Ros Del Rosario and I got about halfway through I'm at middle game rule number four um, so oh. page 108 out of 200 and, um, out of 210 I was streaming that but I sort of put that on a break because I'm so busy with the with the dojo tournament books um, mm. but um, so yeah I try to work through books on the stream i went through chernev's uh, logical uh, games of chess so that i did cover to cover um oh that's so yeah cool. it's not it's not many books that i did cover to cover but i i've been in and out of probably most of the books in my collection okay so it sounds like your approach has been rather than sticking with one book and really making sure you're getting every nugget out of it you're sort of jumping around are you being targeted in your jumping like Today, I want to learn about pawn levers. I'm going to read the pawn lever chapter and pump up your rating. Or is it more just kind of like, I'm in the mood for a Fisher game today. And so you grab 60 memorable games. Yeah, more, more the latter. Like, for example, um, in the dojo, I do the opening prep. And that's something else we can talk about how, how hmm. um, you know, how I do my opening prep. Actually, note that down. I'd really love to talk about that. But, yeah. you know, so I, I was playing a guy and I, you know, looked at his opening tree and I see that he likes to play the... Uh, in the Roy Lopez, he likes to play the Leningrad variation. Okay. And there's a bit of hist history there too. So I, I look through all my my books to try to find some Leningrad games. And um, no, not Leningrad games. The, I'm sorry, Le uh, Riga, Riga variation. The Riga variation of the, of the, um, the Riga variation of the, um, is it the Scotch or something like that? Okay. Um, um, so apparent, and then I find that Edward Lasker in his book talks about how he was on the Berlin team uh, as a consultant in that Riga game. And then there's a famous Capablanca game and mm. sort of, and that gets me to the history of it. So I, you know, I pulled out my best games of Frank Marshall and the best games of Blackburn. And I got all the old Dover classics and things like that. And I knew the Riga variation is sort of an old respected line. It's not a modern line mm -hmm. and just the history of it. And I played through, through some games from, uh, you know, Tartakower's 500, um, games and things like that um 
so I did a few games, you know, from there. I mentioned the Vitechnik, right? I, I'm trying to work through that book. So I got the book on, on um, mating patterns. So I pulled out my um, beat, How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. And I'm, a, I'm about 42 mates out of 50. And he's got four chapters on the Greek gift. Hmm. And the Greek gift, there's so much literature on the Greek gift. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but like the Greek gift has uh-huh. been studied for hundreds of years. Um, mm. I think it's called the Greek gift because it was invented or it was first analyzed by Greco. Um, mm-hmm. And so that got me pulling out. Um, I think it's a, a book called um, uh, Fundamental or what's that book? It's, uh, it's called um, Check, uh, Fundamental Sacrifices or something like that by David mm. Lemoire. Yeah, David Lemoire's book about. So I pulled out that book and I'm sure he had a chapter on the Greek gift. And surely he did. And he mentioned there, um, you know, the Vukovic, Vukovic book. And that's a book yeah. that I had from when I was a kid. So I pulled out the Vukovic and he's got a whole chapter. The Art so, of the Attack in Chess. The Art of the Attack. That's right. Yeah. He's got a whole chapter where he goes through a whole scientific study of, of the Greek gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool, you know, like there's, there's, and, and if you systemize it, um, it's actually really cool. Like the Greek gift is, you know, your knight takes H7 check. King takes H7. So, so you know, you ought to know, okay, well, there's several ways that, and then you go uh, knight to g5 check, right? So there's like three main defenses. One is king to g8, one is king to g6, and one is king to h6. And this has been systematically studied when each of them works and when, you know, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do on king to g8, it's usually, you know, queen to h5. Um, so when does it work? You know, if, if black is able to bring his bishop to f5 and protect that key h7 square, then usually it does not work. Uh, when does it work when you have the h pawn up and you know your rook can then attack along the the h file i mean it, it's 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 fascinating I, I just discovered this last week because i was reading about it in in uh, murray chandler's book wow what a fascinating way to study chess so it sounds like when you are studying you're using your vast library to not just read a book but to really get into the depth behind that position or or that moment and go into some history. And does that help then cement that for you all the more by go going through that history and like understanding everything that goes behind it rather than just drilling that tactic a couple of times? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. And yeah, it, it helps with the memory. Uh, I mean, it helps systemization. That's, 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 that's something else that I think is underestimated when it comes to studying chess. There's the, there's the woodpecker method. And I think what that really misses is that repetition is not is not good enough. Uh, mm-hmm. It needs it needs to it needs to mean something to you. So when you study a checkmate pattern, um, you're not going to remember that pattern just because you reviewed it or um, whatever it is seven times of the woodpecker method. Mm-hmm. If you actually sit back and reflect on it and think to yourself like, okay, that's that's really cool. I think this is actually something that Vitechnik in in, in the chess tactics from scratch emphasizes and he wrote that book specifically not as a puzzle book that Mm -hmm. you're supposed to you know sit and solve he's like don't try to solve these puzzles just read it and make sure you understand it um Mm -hmm. now i don't buy that approach completely either but i think the murray chandler book how to beat your dad at chess does the same thing it's like there's it's organized where there's you know one page where he shows you the pattern and then the next page is four pages is four is four pages and the difficulty level is a bit strange because some of the pages are you know, you read those puzzles and they're like, well, if that book, if that book is aimed at sort of um, late beginner to early intermediate, 
this is not a, like there's a Korchnoi position there that is like, how is any beginner supposed to get that puzzle? And then you realize <laughs> they didn't mean it as a puzzle. You're not supposed to solve that. You're supposed uh, to read it, right? Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I when I read through Chess Tactics for Scratch, I found that my way of doing it was to actually try to solve them but then the reason was so that I would be invested in it. And it's kind of like you were saying, then it's like, there's more of me in it. It wasn't, I just read about this thing and moved on. I tried to solve it. I failed. And then he was like, this is what happened. This is why you failed. And I can be like, ah, now I see. And I just felt like that helped me cement it even more. Yeah. And exactly like you said, you have to be invested in it. And that doesn't come necessarily from trying to solve it yourself. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. there, I remember... Like in the summer, I was doing a, a tactic on the uh, Chess King um, app, right? Mm. Uh, that was based on the Maxime block books, right? And there's one position actually, which is not in the Maxime block book, but it's on the app for some reason. And it was this type of hook mate, right? Where you sacrifice a queen on like F8 or something. And you got your knight, you go knight to F6. Um, and then your king has to move back to G8. And there's like a rook or something on, on, F, on F8. And you sack your queen for it. And then he takes your queen and you bring your rook into to, to E8. And that's checkmate. Oh, well, well, and then he moves his king. Uh, you can mm -hmm. move his king back to you know G6 and then G8 checkmate. Um, and it was a, it was a you know, fun, fun position. It's sort of stuck with me for some reason. And then I see Vitechnik has a position which is very similar, which is like a, um, a famous position from a Fisher bauer game it was a fisher i mm. can't remember who it was exactly and i'm like oh yeah that's the same position right and it wasn't exactly the same position that's because maxine block sort of what he does is he cuts the board in half and then he puts two puzzles on it one for black one for white so you can always flip it and play it from the other side oh, wow. um, but that sort of mating pattern comes from a fisher a fisher game i mean i hope i i wish i can um have it with me now but it's a it's it's a hmm. fisher something um yeah Anyways, um, maybe in, in the show notes, I can, I can get you the, uh, I can get you, yeah, I can definitely. get you the, the, exactly what the game is. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was that position. And now that pattern sort of sticks with me. And it's not because I repeated it, it seven times. It's mm -hmm. because I noticed that pattern and sort of like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to forget that pattern, um, you know, or those positions I told you about the Riga variation. I'm not going to forget that because I read about it. I read about um, Lasker's story about how Capobanco came late to the game when he was in New York and he called him on the phone and he all, I mean, it's a famous story. It's in the book. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's chess secrets. I learned from the masters. Great book with chess history. Um, and that's actually another thing. Like when I was young, I mentioned that I found these old books in the school library. I remember at a very young age being very aware of they're being they're existing a chess culture um, hmm. and i think that's that's important like i i had read about the old about steinitz and about you know the stories of the old masters and you know uh sammy Ryshevsky and 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 all that and i think that matters i think that that's i think that makes a difference about when you remember those positions you know you remember that famous sacrifice that or that famous position that fisher did in the game of the century and you remember the opera mate and you remember the uh you know the evergreen game mm -hmm. yeah i think this is a great point um i know like when neil bruce does his flashcards, he writes it's not just the answer but it's like a little explanation or story so that it's like okay i'm remembering the answer i'm remembering the text I'm remembering the process of writing it down. I'm remembering the process of cutting the thing out. 
So he's got like all these different levels that go with the tactic. It's not just tactic, tactic, do the tactic again a week later. Yeah. And and again, I've, and this goes, see, this goes to another point of where I was talking about classic games, right? So I've played many, many Blitz games. And afterwards I analyze with the computer and say, oh, I should have done that sacrifice at this point. Yeah. And then I play a, I play a classic game and my opponent after the game is like, oh yeah, in this opening, you really want to have your Bishop on G2. Mm-hmm. And just that little comment, just that little comment after game, you're like, okay, now I get the entire, you know, you're talking about the semi-slav. It, uh, that's a bad example because I don't know the semi-slav so well, but there's certain openings where, you know, your opponent says that, you know, in that opening, you really want to move your queen to E8 because that's a great place for the queen. And then yeah. that opening totally, totally becomes, oh, now I get it. Now yep. I get that opening. And you only get that because some opponent might have mentioned it to you after a classical game because he happened to have that nugget. Um, which you could have played a thousand blitz games and never have picked up on that. Yeah, I had that exact experience with the Queen E8 thing in the Slav. Um, and I just didn't even understand what my opponent was doing. I was like, I don't get this. And so I took it to my coach, and my coach gave me that nugget, right? Of like, what do you mean you don't understand that? This is the whole point of what he's trying to do. Cause I was like, look, he made like three weird moves in a row. I don't understand. He's like, those are not weird. That's you not understanding that opening on a very fundamental level. And I'm like, ah, okay. And now I won't forget that. But a lot of it is like you said, because it was a classical game. When it's a blitz game, I can lose that game and move on pretty quickly. But because I sat there in that chair for an hour wondering why the heck did that guy play queen E8? Also, that move seemed to crush me. Uh, it just sticks with me much more. So I, I think that's, that's a good point that in classical games, I think because you're wrestling with it, that position so long, it kind of, it's just another hook to to attach into uh, at least my old, more feeble brain. Yeah, and over the board helps with that too. Like in the Madison Pub Club, I spoke about earlier in the show that I go to on Wednesday nights, I played a, you know, we had our little Swiss tournament of three, two games. And after the game, uh, a guy, comes over to me and offers to play a game and you know he's not a master or anything like that um and we played like a 15 10 game or something like that hmm. i think it was because he wanted to play a little bit slower uh and we played a nice little position in the london where i brought my queen to um i guess he was playing white so i brought my queen to um to b6 mm-hmm. um, and then sort of we had that face off of the queens and then after the game we sort of analyzed and he showed that like yeah once the queen takes and you do eight um you know a takes b6 you have the double pawn on you know a6 and a7 but then you start pushing that pawn and you got the open a file with the rook i'm like okay great that's a great plan and that'll really stick mm-hmm. with me that this you know this kid that i played with um he wasn't a kid he was sort of my age a little bit younger than me but that'll sink in even though it wasn't the, it was a 15 10 game but it was over the board and it was with yeah. an opponent uh and after the game he just mentioned that to me and now the whole plan the whole plan of opening the a file and then pushing your double pawn up uh, mm-hmm. now i get it yeah and that just resonates at least for me a lot more than the computer saying this would work because when the computer says that often it's just like sure computer you see everything you think everything works um but having a human explain it in human terms again as one more hook to help it just kind of cement um you said you wanted to talk about your opening props so let's talk about do you spend a lot of time working on openings um yeah it depends what the opening yeah so the way i the way i do the opening prep and this is i think or at least in my opinion the best way to learn openings and it's worked best for me is not to try to build a a, your entire repertoire but to work 
on specific openings in preparation for specific opponents. Mm. So it's really, really nice about the dojo tournament is that you're given your pairings at the beginning, Monday morning at the beginning of the week. So, and if you're going to play your game, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, you've basically got an entire week to prepare against that guy. And because it's an online tournament, you know what his handle on chess.com is or on Lee chess. Yeah. So you got opening tree. If you don't know the website opening tree, um, go there now any of your listeners who haven't heard of opening tree <laughs> go there right now to opening tree that's nice actually lee chess introduced the feature a, f- a while ago where you can put the player's name in and you can see that player's database as well so on lee chess it sort of made opening tree actually i think in their press release when they released that lee chess even said you know they feel bad because they don't want to put the small guys out of business and they really didn't want to knock down opening trees business yeah um, but they did it anyways so i think that was sort of that that sort of um, apology was in there was in their press release when they released that feature but i still use it for chess.com i used to have yeah. a member um i used to have one of the diamond memberships but even then i don't find that it's as easy to um go through i think the feature that the feature that's really nice on opening trees also you can see their most recent games so mm. when you put the handle in of your yeah. opponent often you'll see that they switched openings, you know, uh, midway through their career. So you can see that they've got lots of Sicilian games. But you notice that the last time they played a Sicilian was in 2021, while everything they've been playing since, you know, November 2021 has been Caracon. So you can tell, okay, that's probably a player that switched over to the Caracon. And Mm -hmm. you can do a bit of investigative work. You know, you can go to their chess.com page, look at their old, at their most recent classical games, their 90-30 dojo games, and see if they're playing Caracan or Sicilian. Uh, but once you've sort of nailed down what opening they play, so I figured out that this guy plays a, a Caracan, right? So, and I know what my variation against the Caracan is. I'm going to play classical Caracan, and I see that he likes to respond to that with a Tartakawa variation. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that as an example um, it's a very good example because for some reason everybody's playing that these days. Um, oh yeah, it's because of uh, Naroditsky. <laughs> oh, it could be, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he likes those double pawns on the king side. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, Naroditsky is. Yeah, he's into that. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember when I started learning that, I came across some very good Naroditsky videos on that. Um, all right, so now I have, I know what I have to prepare for, and I'm not preparing every response to e4. I'm preparing specifically the Karakhan specifically the Tartakawa variation, right? And I know how deep that guy knows book theory because I can see from his games if he's ever played down to move, you know? Yeah. So like, uh. the best example I have of this is a guy I played a while ago and he played um, dragon variation, Sicilian dragon. And I can see he was playing against his coach. He had like five games where he played the same variation again and again. And it's one of that, it's the variation in the dragon where you exchange knights, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I prepped the, am I allowed to swear on your show? I, no, I no, 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 don't swear. No, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I prepped the, you know, I yeah. prepped the, out of that opening. Right. Um, and um, um, I played in the game. He played right into me, played right mm. into my prep. Yeah. And, and after the game, I'm like, oh, do you want to analyze? And he's like, oh no, I got to go. <laughs> I think he either he must have suspected he must have suspected I was like a cheat. It was a great game. I mean, I can send you again in the show notes. Remind me to send you the you know the PGN for that. But you know, it was down to move twenty one where there was this great bishop move to h three. That's totally you know we go bishop h three bishop to g four and he's got the knight on on um, on 
you know, was trying to block the H5, just totally ripped apart his position. And it, it was a beautiful game, beautiful game. But he played right into my prep. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, and so, okay, sometimes you get an opponent where you're a little bit more unsure. So I'm not spending hours and hours a week doing prep because very often, you know, I got an opponent that's going to play the Tartakower and I've already done my prep for that. Mm-hmm. But whenever I come across the opportunity to do prep for a new opening, let's say I get somebody who now plays the, um, you know, the, 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 the Nidorf, it's like, okay, now that's an opportunity to learn the Nidorf. Mm-hmm. Nidorf is impossible to learn because there's a million variations, but I know exactly the variation that that guy plays. So let me just study that variation and I've got another one in the pocket. Right? Mm-hmm. I can I can put that in a pocket. And I mm-hmm. use a variety of tools. Like I'll, I'll analyze it on my own with a lead chess board. I'll try to find a line that I think I'm comfortable with. I'll put it into Chess Tempo uh, Opening Trainer. It's another great website if any of your listeners are unaware of Chess Tempo, the opening trainer. Um, it's sort of like Chessable. I think Chessable lets you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just, um, you know, build a file and practice the file one or two times. I don't do this that often, um, but you know, if it's a new opening that I'm trying to learn, um, I'll do that. Hmm. And so, do you find that in this approach of really prepping for one person, be able to be really targeted, that it sticks better because it was such an important thing that you were prepping for you were prepping for this one classical game you knew you were going to spend a lot of time in that game so you were actually not just like blindly memorizing the line but really trying to understand it and go deeper into it exactly and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about being invested all right so uh, this is a real game i'm gonna play this guy very often i do the prep he doesn't play into it too bad all right so you lose the game. You know, I played once a really strong player and he had played uh, an uh, accelerated dragon and he changed the move order up ever so slightly where he was able to, you know, I got my, you know, bishop to, 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 to E3 and then he moved, you know, knight to G4 and was able to force the trade of the bishops. So, and then I just went downhill from there. So it happens, right? Mm-hmm. But I've probably, you know, have a good 10 or 10 openings that now I know really, really deeply because of those preps that I, uh, that I did. And then yeah. in the, in, in the, in the open, the Canadian Open tournament, um, that that approach sort of helped me out because that's over the board. So you're only getting your opponent the night before or that afternoon for your for your afternoon game. So there isn't time to build a whole thing, right? Yeah. But and also you don't know what the guy's online persona is. Mm-hmm. So like I had one opponent, and the only clue I had out of this whole, I couldn't go to his online account because I didn't know what it was. But on Chess Tempo, for some reason, there was one game of his where he played a Sicilian, a certain variation of the Sicilian. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go on that. And in a half an hour before the game, I just looked it up, 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 very quickly, learned a few lines here and there. And it helped me. It helped me a little hmm. bit. Although there's there's a bit of risk to that, because sometimes if you know an opening too superficially and you're just playing it based on, because, okay, the computer said that I'm supposed to do this, this, and that, um, yeah. that's not good. Um, but at least it did help me out. Um, it did help me out a little bit just hmm. with a caveat. I'll just add that caveat to it. It's yeah for over the board when you only have 45 minutes to prepare. Uh, I, I use caution. That's a, this is really fascinating. It sounds like a really um, cool way to do sort of that incremental way of building your opening repertoire and opening knowledge rather than trying to just memorize every line. You're really being targeted about it. Um, how much of your study time, like what percentage do you think you're dedicating to these deep uh, opening preps? I could probably do a like a full prep in two hours. So if I know who my opponent is, 
I've ready the system. I've worked it out where I can quickly jump on opening tree, um, mm. find a line, um, go through it on leeches, find out some good lines that work. Uh, that I can probably do in two hours. If I want to go really deep and I want to put it in chess tempo and sort of come up with some other variations that he might try other moves, and then I have to practice that, I can might spend another hour or two on that. But it usually, usually with uh, uh, one or two hours or three or four hours, if you really, really want to go deep, should be enough time to be able to do that. Interesting. And if you do uh, one of these a week or one every few weeks, after a few months, you'll have a whole, you know, you'll have 10, 15 openings in your, in your pocket. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about coaches from you. Do you have a coach at all? Have you considered using a coach at all? Any thoughts on coaching? Yeah, no, I wish, I wish I would. I think financial, um, financial um, considerations is probably a big part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was younger and into chess back then, I had gotten like one lesson from a guy from a very strong player. He's a, he's a blitz player. He used to hang out on, on ICC. His name is um, um, Jakob N, uh, Jakob Norowitz. Um, mm. You might've heard of him. Some real listeners might've heard of him, but this was years ago. And he offered, you know, he said, oh, you know, let me give you a lesson, 25 bucks, which is a great rate, but yeah. I can't imagine spending 25 bucks every time I need a lesson. I'm just going to run through. I can't, you know, I mentioned I have seven kids, right? So yeah. It's either their birthday present or, or, you know, <laughs> so I, I would feel terrible, you know, especially yeah. since, you know, especially even with buying all the books, but I have so many books and I, I gotcha. Okay. You know. So for you, it's not like, I don't think coaching is relevant. It's more, I'm able to make progress on my own and the financial trade-off just doesn't feel like it's quite uh, available right now. I think I can say I've forced myself to, to adapt I forced myself to come up with a way to be a self-learner mm -hmm. out of a need. Right? So if I would have been able to have a coach, if I, when I was younger, my parents were driving me around to tournaments. That's one thing. But, you know, I also come from a big family. It's not just myself who has lots of kids. I have, um, you know, um, six brothers and sisters. Mm. Um, my parents weren't driving me. It's not, I'm not from the one kid family whose parents, yeah. you know, take me to violin lessons on Sundays and chess on Mondays and swimming on Tuesdays and right. ballet on, on Thursdays, right? So I've really been... Um, my entire life, I've been a self learner, just in everything, right? If I want to learn a new language, if I want to learn a musical instrument, I've just learned over the course of my life that um, I'm the only one who can teach it to, to myself. And today, it's great, though. Uh, today, there's so much resources. And that's something else. I and mean, this is a different topic than what we we're talking about before. But like, compared to my first round of chess between the ages of whatever it is 10 and, and 20 something and then when i took that hiatus and i came back recently the entire um um, um environment has changed so uh, immensely like back in, in in 2001 2002 there was no naraditsky there was no agad mater there was no levy rosman there was no chessable. There was no Lee Chess. There was no chess.com. I think chess.com might have been around then. Um, but, you know, and if you wanted chess books, you went on, I don't know where you went. You went on these like um, <laughs> listservs or I don't know what that was suggesting, you yeah. know, my system, my system and Capablanca's uh -huh. chess fundamentals to you. Today you look around and it's like, there's just so much good material that yeah. I think it's, you know, if I would have had this when I was a kid, uh, who knows, who knows how, how, how much I would have, you know, um, drunk that in. 
Yeah, it is pretty amazing. I've talked about that many times on the show, just that difference between my first time around as well. And now that the choices are just so dramatically different. Um, before we head out today, can you give us some books? Like, what do you feel like are your the books that have had the biggest impact on your journey? It could be at different levels. Okay, when I was younger, I was a huge fan of that Tarash book I mentioned. Uh, since then, I think I actually wrote a blog post on this on chess.com, and it's called you can try searching for it. It's called Beginner to Expert in 25 Books or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I start at a really low level. So I think that for somebody who's starting out, um, the Copley books are yeah. the you know chess strategy for kids. I mean, that's just a must. The first book, no question. I mean, anybody who asks me what's my first book, the, the Jeff Copley book, uh, Chess Strategy for Kids. If you're an adult, um, I think the Aster Sayer one, Play Winning Chess is really good. It's very different than the Coakley book. It's a bit of a different approach. It's more of a high level overview of the, you know, Coakley will teach you all the basic techniques you need to know, you know, all the basic tactics, all the basic end games, a little bit of openings, everything you need to know to get started. Um, just to be that rounded chess player that you, you know what a double pawn is and you know what a, you know, yeah. opposition is and you know what a rook on the seventh rank is and you know what a discovered uh, double check is, right? Um, what Sarawan does is sort of gives you a framework to think about chess. So it's like, you know, the four elements, you know, there's the, you know, time yeah. uh, development and space and pawn structure. I can't remember what the four were, right? So that's a good, good first book as well. Um, and then um, after that, I think um, um, Chernev's book, Game Collection book is really good. Mm. Um, I'm really into the puzzle books. So there's a lot of good, a lot of good um, puzzle books at all levels. So, you know, for beginners, you can get the 1001 chess. Uh, I like the Susan Polgar's Chess Tactics for Champion is really good. Um, the, the new in chess series, um, um, Mazzetti, Meta and Mazzetti's um, 1001 chess puzzles for um, beginners. And then they've got 1001 for club players, which is a little bit harder. Hmm. Um, there's the Russian Chess House, the Chess School, um, the Ivanchenko books are good. Uh, just beware those have like end game problems too um as you get higher on the level there's some really good books like i mentioned the lev albert 300 uh, it's the uh chess training pocket book um, mm. i like um what's his name's um um the uh, uh, most instructive chess puzzle book i think it's called from gambit um and then as you move up the levels i mean there's some end game books i think silman's end game book is is good i did up to like the first level e or something like that um another good endgame book that i have on my list was uh Ilya rabinovich there was a new there's a new translation from mongoose press so if you want to learn end games that's a good end game yuri aberback's book on end games is good too um there's a lot of good game collections i would not recommend the del rosario the first book of morphe for mm. absolute for like beginners i think that's more of an intermediate book um i think that chernev's um book is better for beginners and then there's some other game collection books which i think are also a little bit more suitable for your you know anything up to 11 1200 i think once you're at 11 1200 first book of morphe really works as you get into the more advanced books like i mentioned um think like a grandmaster people trash that book but i think it's really really great um hmm. i that was one of the only books also that i've sort of absorbed almost cover to cover um what else is there um I like reading books on chess psychology. 
um, thinking process. So that's why I like Think Like a Grandmaster. There's Improve Your Chest mm-hmm. Now by um, Jonathan uh, Tisdall. Uh, anyways, I can probably go on and on um, <laughs> because, you know, chess books is one of my uh, yeah. uh, um, hobbies. Um, How about my system? Yeah, Where Do you consider that a great classic or a classic whose time has been passed? No, it's a very good, very, very good book. Uh, the style is very weird, but you know how I mentioned before that you want to be immersed in the in the culture and the stories. So mm. you you know he talks about like there's some points that that Nimzovich makes in that book that I've just never seen expressed in 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 that way in modern books, um, and it's a little bit random. It's a little bit all over the place. But like when he talks about rooks on the seventh, he makes the point that you know the the purpose of an open file is to get your rook to a good rook to a good rank and if you can't get it to the seventh get it to the fifth though i haven't seen that in modern books hmm. you know he talks about that pattern where you have the knight on the rook uh, against the king that either a checkmate or a, or a perpetual on when the king is trapped on the first rank uh, he talks about outposts he talks about you know every book that you read about outposts uh, i think simple chess uh, michael Steen's simple chess talks about outposts really good book as well um but nobody makes the point that Often you send a knight to an outpost, even though it could be shoot away from a pawn. You know, a lot of people have the definition that an outpost is a point that cannot be attacked by pawns. But Imzovich makes the, he considers it an outpost anyways, if it induces your opponent to push a pawn to try to scare your knight away, mm-hmm. and now induces a weakness. Like, that's something that Imzovich talks about that I haven't seen talked about in other books. So I think it's a great book. There's so much good material in there that I don't think have been adequ- adequately um, brought up to date in, in modern books. Except if you're going to read really advanced books, like maybe if you're going to read Shanklin's books, but mm. at, at your level, you know, you mentioned this on the show a lot that, you know, that went in one ear out the other, but when yeah. you read it from Nimzovich, you're, it's not going to go out the other ear. You're really going to, you're really going to, it's better suited for a, again, for an intermediate player, probably somebody 14, 1500. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah, wonder, I, I, I like my system. I wonder if his very odd anecdotes actually help. Like they're so weird and dated that you can't help but dwell on them. And maybe that actually helps you remember the material a little better because you're just like more immersed in trying to figure out like, what is he even talking about with this anecdote? Also the like Tarashi is just so fascinating. We're just like, wait, what? He's like specifically calling out his chess rival in, in his primer on how to learn how to play chess. This is fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I really like I really like my system. I think it's gets and I mentioned the other book too, the Think Like a Grandmaster. People I think miss the entire point. People say, Oh, that's not really how grandmasters think. Hmm. I don't think that's what that I don't think that's what Koto even 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 imagined. I think uh, when we talk about candidate moves today, I mean that comes from that comes from that book. Mm-hmm. And I find myself very often in classical games where I'm looking at the board and you know the, the funny story from the beginning of the book where you're you know searching, searching and then decide to do some other move. Oh, that happens to me all the time. And when I step back and say, okay, what are my candidate moves? Let's analyze them one by one. That's not how Grandmaster thinks. You know, you do jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I think it's sort of an idealized model. And then from there, you can build. And I think Tisdale mm-hmm. actually does a very good job in his book, Improve Your Chess Now, um, of doing yeah. that justice. To, he has a very good uh, uh, critique of, of Koto. And when I say critique, I don't mean like negative critique. I mean, you know, criticism, mm-hmm. positives and negatives. Um, and there's lots of good things in that Tisdale book as well that really uh, nails down stuff about thought process. 
Uh, another 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 good source on thought process is Dan Heisman. I used to listen to his show on ICC. Uh, that was another big part of my chess development. Uh, I remember printing out all the chess nook um, from the Chess Cafe website. I printed mm -hmm. out a whole stack of them and I was reading those articles. But a lot of stuff he talks about thought processes is, is, is yeah. great as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for all these um, book suggestions. I know it's one of the things that uh, many people are always looking for. So Joel, man, it is hard to believe we've been talking for over an hour already. I feel like we could talk for many more hours. So we'll have to do this again soon. Um, so thanks for coming on and leaving us with a whole bunch of really actionable nuggets, things that I know I haven't really thought about doing into my own approach that I'm now going to be considering. So uh, where can people get a hold of you if they think like, man, this Joel guy, I got to contact him. Where, where, can, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, best place is probably Discord. I'm Joel Cato. Um, I'm on Twitch often when I play my Dojo Classical games. I mentioned I was streaming books, uh, which I will get back to. It's just been a while since I've done that. But if on on Twitch, I'm Joel underscore Cato. But the best place to reach me is, is, is Discord. Um, I can give you my actual Discord um, handle. Um, well, actually, uh, maybe in the show notes, but it's, it's Joel Cato. Find me on the dojo, um, Chess Dojo, and just search for Joel, um, okay. and you'll see a whole bunch of, especially in the books channel. Perfect. Well, Joel, thanks again for coming on. Um, for everyone out there, I hope this is your week where you make all your ratings gains and everything is amazing. And if it's not, and it's a plateau, it's okay. Don't worry. Come back next week. We'll have another guest. We'll have some more thoughts, some ideas of how to improve, and I'll see you all next time.